For the podcast on Acts chapter 6 through 8, I am speaking out of my living room here today. Uh, the sermon was not recorded on Sunday, and this is such an important part of the book of Acts uh, and in the story of God's people in the early church that I wanted to make sure we did this Bible study together on the podcast because um, this is such a key, key study. So we're continuing in Acts 2020, our series of the book of Acts, because we believe the acts of the Holy Spirit, the acts of Jesus, the acts of God and the church, they're still going on today in 2020, uh, just as they were in the first century. And today we're studying uh, what's happening uh, in Acts, Acts 6 through 8. Again, what we do, we try to let the story teach us. We want the story to inspire us, and we want the story to really change us and shape us as a people. Uh, what we see going on in Acts chapter 6, we see the early church experience some problems. And I think that should encourage us just a little bit, because uh, if any of us have been in the church for more than five minutes, we know that there's always uh, a problem or two we're trying to solve. And, and when you bring a lot of imperfect people together, you're going to have some things to work through. And we do that in the church, and we see that happening in the first century church. Let's read in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, choose seven men known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the Word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So the church is growing, and we see a little conflict going on here. And the Jews in Jerusalem, they were very, a very benevolent people, and they took care of people. We see that extending to the church as well. They're taking up a collection and helping the widows who couldn't take care of themselves. But there are different types of Jews we see, especially who come in for the Pentecost event, for the Pentecost celebration, who have become Christians. Uh, there are these Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews. So who are the Hebraic Jews? Well, those are the those that live in Jerusalem, those that they probably spoke Aramaic, this really Jewish language, and uh, they, they held really closely to the Jewish traditions. The Hellenistic Jews, they're going to be Greek speakers. They're, they're not from the holy city. They're kind of outsiders, and there's this different kind of culture that they have. And I'm sure we can kind of, we've experienced that in our churches. We, we have people that come from all different types of cultures, and, and they come to church. They come to Christ, and we try to come together in unity in Jesus, but we all have these different expectations of, of, of how church should be done or how songs should be done. And, and there can be some, some conflict there. What I love is how the apostles chose to take care of this. They, they took the issue to the church and they say, hey guys, we're not going to ignore this. This is something we've got to, to take care of. And we want it to be done in a, in a great way, but we want to continue keeping our focus on 
uh, getting the gospel out. We need to keep preaching and, and speaking. So what do we do? Let's, let's choose some great spiritual people to, to help solve this problem, to fix it. And, and they chose seven men, and, and they didn't have a degree in social work. They didn't necessarily have all the answers, but their greatest quality were spiritual qualities. And it seems that a lot of these guys are, are, are kind of have a Greek background. Even this guy, Nicholas from Antioch, he's a convert to Judaism. So it does help that they had some people that would probably understand uh, the, the, the situation uh, from the Hellenistic Jews as well. Uh, and then the people were excited about this. And you know, what's some takeaways to learn from this for our church? I, I think as we, as we continue in God's church that it is the most important thing to have spiritual people uh, leading in the church. People who are going to want to honor God and uh, they, they really want to, to extend the love of Christ to people. And, you know, of course, a humble leader who's spiritual is going to gather those who have insight into the practical matters, whether it's finances or planning and strategy, those types of things. But, but I think it is so important to, to, to follow the examples of the apostles here, to choose spiritually qualified people to, to lead. And let's continue in that uh, precedent really set uh, by the apostles. And of course, the Word of God continues to spread rapidly. Uh, going on, as we let the, the story inspire us, we're going to find this hero in the faith of ours, this first Christian martyr, Stephen. Stephen was one of the seven chose, he chosen to take care of this problem in Jerusalem. Uh, Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit, a man full of great faith, and he had a lot of zeal. And he receives opposition because he's teaching and performing great wonders and signs we see in Acts chapter 6. Let's read in verse 8. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition rose, however, from members of the synagogue, of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene, Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. When they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel." We're going to see the Sanhedrin. We're going to see the religious leaders infuriated by the message that Stephen brings to them. Well, what is it really that disturbed him? I think in Acts 7, verse 47, we can, we can see here this, this centralized argument, I think, that they, they were really upset about. Uh, of course, go back and read the entire sermon that Stephen preaches here. It, it's amazing. But let's look here in verse 47, Acts chapter 7. Stephen goes on to say, It was Solomon who built a house for him. Who built the house for God? Who built the temple? 
However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears. And yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord Do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing him. Next week, we're going to get into Saul and his conversion and how God is using Saul in very specific ways to bring about the spread of the gospel. Uh, But we'll hold on to that next week. And here we're, we're focusing in on Stephen and First of all, what an inspiration. Uh, A man who had great zeal and boldness and gives his life uh, defending uh, the gospel. Um, The the stoning, just to to kind of visualize it, it's really really tough and uncomfortable to think about this, but but, uh, they took him out and what the normal practice, the way I understand it, would be they would bind uh, someone's hands behind them and then throw them off a cliff. And... uh, at the bottom of the cliff, there would be some, some, some people standing there. In case the fall did not kill them, they would use stones to, to finish the job. And that is most likely what happened to Stephen. Uh, but in the middle of this tragedy, in the middle of this, this horrible event that really shook the church um, in, in, a, in a huge way, uh, we, we see... This image of Jesus. We see Jesus Himself present again. Again, we talked about how, how Jesus doesn't ascend to heaven and we don't see Him again. Here we see Him again. Uh, Stephen sees Him very clearly. Heaven opens up and, and, and Stephen sees Jesus. And what is He doing? He's not sitting at the right hand of God. He is standing. He's standing. He's standing for Stephen paying tribute, saying, Stephen, I love you. I'm with you. And he's he's excited. He's thrilled about his faith and his zeal and his courage. And and what a great picture for us when we go through tough things and and challenging things. We make a stand, and it's really challenging in this world that if we can look up to heaven and see Jesus, that he is proud of us. He's excited for us. That is what excites Stephen. And we see this this incredible just just Christ moment and so much of what he went through and what he said and what he expressed really mirrors exactly what Jesus went through on the cross, how he, he prayed for the forgiveness of those who were acting out of ignorance, uh, how he was accused so unjustly. And, and, and Stephen got to experience uh, this suffering with Jesus in a special way, and he soon would be rewarded uh, in heaven. So this should inspire us. This should, should fill our hearts and, and, and give us courage when we go through tough things uh, for the sake of Jesus Christ.
But what's the message again? What are they upset about? They're upset about what he's saying specifically about the temple. You see, the Jews had created their own ownership, their own ownership uh, of, of their religion, of Judaism. And in their minds, their God was the God, is the God of the Jews. He lives in the temple. He gave the Torah, and these are God's people. It is Israel. And, and if you try to go outside of that, it's, it's blasphemy to think of a God who, who rules over the whole universe and is God over all people and is everywhere was blasphemous. And they, they, they were taking ownership that this is my religion. This is it's Judaism, and God is, is, is our God. They were like owning God as, as only their own. And Stephen says, no, God is much bigger than that. He was casting an image that was, that was so much bigger than what the Jews wanted to accept. He says, God does not just dwell in the temple. He is God over everything, over all people. This infuriated them. What Stephen is doing through the Holy Spirit is letting people know God's plan to include Every soul that ever has been created by God, everyone is going to receive an invitation to God's great banquet. And the Jews did not like this. They, they thought it was blasphemy. They weren't ready for this. And they were so angry. They were livid that they wanted to silence Stephen in this message by killing him. But of course, that is not going to silence the message. Going on in Acts chapter 8, we see this persecution break out against the entire church. It was a tough time. It was a testing time for the church. In Acts 8 verse 1, a great, it says, A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them into prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip they saw and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So here we see another one of the seven, Philip. Again, a, a really zealous, courageous, spirit-filled man of God who is scattered, who goes out and, and he's going to Samaria. And, and, and let's think about Samaria. And again, there's this message of inclusion that Stephen's preaching about God being everywhere. And now Samaria, what's the history of Samaria? Well, they're kind of the, the half-Jew, half-Gentile breed of people uh, that didn't really fit in with Judaism anymore. And, and they're part of that northern kingdom of Israel that went to, to Babylon and then... and. Remember that it's, it was infiltrated, this land was with, with, with uh, Gentile people that eventually over the generations, uh, they intermarried and, and 
created this race that was some Jewish, but also some Gentile. And they didn't quite fit in with the Jewish uh, religion, uh, with the Jewish traditions. And we learn in John 4, the woman at the well, uh, when Jesus breaks through this barrier and speaks to a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman breaks through all of these social barriers and talks about the living water that he has to bring to all people, to the Samaritans, to this woman. Uh, and it's the seed of the message of the gospel that begins in John 4 that now we see come to fruition here with the message of Philip. He goes to Samaria, preaches the word, and what is the word that they are included, that they are invited to the table of God through Jesus Christ, that they now can be in God's people fully and completely, not as a half-breed. And this is a message of, of great, great joy. Uh, and we see this story, we don't have time to go through it today, this, this story of Simon the sorcerer, uh, this sorcerer there in, in Samaria, this magician, uh, this charlatan, if you will, um, who actually becomes a believer uh, in Jesus Christ. And there's this, this really, uh, this, this awful thing in his heart where he's trying to buy the power of the apostles to, to give this, this Holy Spirit. And, and, and I think it should be a great warning for all of us that there's different motivations we can have in our Christianity. We may become believers, but it can never be a self focused motivation. It can't just be about what we can get or what we can receive. That it's, it's a gratitude that we get to be a part of God's people. So I'd encourage you to read through that. But let's, let's go on to the, to the next part of the story about the Ethiopian, because I think this continues this theme of inclusion that we're seeing. Uh, and this is such cool stuff. Let's look in verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south of the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge with all the treasury of Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The passage of scripture the eunuch was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shear is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So here we have an Ethiopian eunuch who had gone to Jerusalem. He is a God-fearer. He has come to believe in the God of Israel, and he wants to be a part of this. And he travels to Jerusalem. But you got to understand that when he goes to worship at the temple, he is only allowed to a certain place in the Temple Mount. He can't cross this barrier, one, because most likely uh, he was not Jewish, uh, but also he is a eunuch, and there were certain laws uh, in, the, in the Levitical law uh, about this. 
uh, in the Old Testament. So he was always going to be an outsider. And he couldn't go to where the sacrifices would be made. And, and so can you imagine going and spending all this time and money and effort and energy to travel to Jerusalem only to find yourself just stuck. There's only so far you can go that I always am going to be an outsider looking in to the worship of the God of Israel. But I believe in him. He's powerful. I've never seen anything like this. But I am limited. I am stuck. Um, Maybe we've all felt that way with our own walk with God. I know I have in my life at times where I feel like I'm just unclean and I'm just, okay, God, I'm just happy to be, you know, coming to church and, you know, I'll never quite get to this level. Do you accept me all the way? And maybe we've done something in our life or maybe we didn't grow up in church and we see ourselves as an outsider and we just don't feel like we really fit in. Um, Maybe we felt some of those things throughout our life. Maybe we feel a little bit of that right now. Well, this message is for all of us. This message is for all of us. What's so cool about this study is Philip knows his Bible, and he is going to walk this this God-fearing Ethiopian through Scripture. And he's reading from Isaiah 53, and he's got a scroll, so he's got money. Not everybody had their own scroll of Isaiah. This was a very rare thing to have. So, but he's reading, and he's going down, and he's, he's reading Isaiah 53. And you like to think that, you know, he's going to continue reading on through Isaiah, because if you do that, then you'll come across this message in Isaiah 56. And this just always gives me such goosebumps. To, to read this and think about what was being read to the Ethiopian, what he must have been feeling, what Philip must have been feeling. Let's read this, Isaiah 56, verse 3 through 8. Reads, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, that... To the eunuch who keeps my Sabbaths, who choose to please me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be His servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who fast Hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exile of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Can you imagine the Ethiopian hearing these words and understanding? And I could even think about Philip even saying, who, the question was, who is this prophet talking about? I think at some point, Philip goes, he's talking about you. The scripture's being fulfilled today. You're the eunuch. You're the one that represents this inclusion for all people that your sacrifice is accepted. 
<laughs> that your, uh, your offerings and sacrifices, you can bring them to the holy mountain. There's, you don't have to stay in a certain place. You can have joy in God's house of prayer. You have a place at the banquet table of God. For someone who thought they would always be an outsider to know that that's not the case anymore was revolutionary. Can have a new life with the Lord through Jesus Christ. What an amazing message. What an amazing message. We should think about it today. Think about those who feel so ostracized from God. Uh, this will help us in the way God sees the world. God is, is, is not just working in our church. And we can be so much like the Jews here in the first century who, who wanted to make, make it all about their religion and their people. We can do the same thing with our church. And we can say, okay, it's all about us and God working through us. And you got to come in here with us and be a part of our God and our way of doing things. I mean, of course, we want to build a great church that honors God. And we want to build that community of God. But God is working everywhere. And God loves everyone on this planet. And there's some dark places and dark things going on. It doesn't mean that God does not rule. And God is not working to bring all men to a knowledge of Him and of His love. There's no dark corner that God is not reaching out to. There is a message of inclusion. Everyone is invited to the table. And even our ministry, I mean, thinking about the things in this world that kind of, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with all those with different sexual orientations and these types of things? And, and, and we need to help and minister, but also see how God loves. And the message is, hey, you are invited to the table. You are invited to the table. You are invited to come in and live in the ways of Jesus and be included and accepted. I don't care where you've been or what you've done. You're invited into this new life of God, with God, through God. What a powerful message. What a powerful message. Acts 8.36, as they travel along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Think about that question. What did he ask? He's always so used to there being a barrier somewhere he couldn't go. And he's like, is there anything in the way? Is there still something in the way? Is, it, what, is there something keeping me? Can I still be a part of this? They stopped the chariot. Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again, but he went on his way doing what? Rejoicing! Rejoicing! Because there's no more barriers between him and God anymore. And Philip, he appeared to Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. What an amazing message! This message of inclusion. And we're going to see it more and more as we, as we study, as we see God work through Cornelius and, and different people and seeing the message go out to all the world. The message of Jesus Christ, the inclusiveness of Jesus Christ. Let this inspire us. Let us see that Jesus does just, just not love our church, does just not love just 
the Christians here. He loves all people and is, is, is sharing this great invitation to all. Let it fuel our, our, our outreach, our, our evangelism. Let us see the love of God for all those in the darkest of places. That yes, they are invited to. That is the joy of sharing the gospel. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith today. I hope, yes, this teaches us. Yes, let's be inspired by the great men and women of faith we see here. And let it change us. Let it shape us in our understanding of the inclusivity of the gospel and how we share that with others. Amen.